Amen. So thank you, Rusty. I, uh, I welcome that uh, empowerment by the Holy Spirit. I can't do this without that. So um, good morning. My name is Scott. Uh, I work, or don't work, I serve on the teaching team. I work somewhere else. Uh, <laughs> but it's good to be here with you. It's good to uh, have the privilege to share God's word together. Um, so I wanted to begin by just reading. We've been working through Hebrews chapter 11 on the series about faith. And so I just wanted to um, begin by reminding us, first of all, from verse 1, sort of the overall theme of the, of the chapter, and then we're going to focus on verse 23 today. But we read in Hebrews, it says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. And then verse 23, by faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. So a few short weeks ago, our American military was uh, ordered to leave Afghanistan after 20 years of war and somewhat peacekeeping efforts. Now, regardless of the differing opinions about whether our military should or should not have done that, the human drama that played out on our device screens was just, I don't know, sad and painful to watch. And the ones that broke my heart the most were scenes like this um, of parents handing their children over. Let me just share several And just kind of let that sink in. And you know, as I, as I look at these pictures, I try to put myself in the position of the parents. And I think back to when my kids were little. And I'm trying to figure out what, what has to be going on inside me as a parent to consider giving up my child to strangers rather than keeping them with me. You see, the choices that these parents were facing were just unbearable. In order to keep their child safe, what do I do? You see, it breaks my heart for the parents. It also breaks my heart for the kids. Now, I understand that this is kind of a heavy way to kick off a message, but I don't think it's hyperbole at all to say that there was a very similar thing going on in the background story of Moses being hidden for three months. Moses' parents were in an incredibly similar situation to what we just watched play out in Afghanistan. You see, in Afghanistan, the fear factor there is the Taliban being back in charge. Afghanis are rightfully afraid that they will be imprisoned or killed if it's found out, if the Taliban finds out that they somehow conspired with the American military. And if that happens, then they're afraid for their children, that either their children will also be killed, or they'll be conscripted somehow to join the Taliban forces. Either option, you see, is terrible to consider. Now, in the case of Moses, he was born during a time 
uh, when God's chosen people, those promised descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob that we've been talking about in other parts of Hebrews, God's chosen people were suffering under slavery in Egypt. So their fear factor was not the Taliban. The fear factor was the Egyptian government. Now, they weren't living in the promised land yet. That was still a promise out in the future. But they were prospering in one way. Exodus chapter 1 tells us they were having lots of kids. So much so that Pharaoh became uh, concerned that the Hebrew people were going to outnumber them, basically, and be able to overwhelm his military. And so he had some strategies in mind. His first strategy was, okay, we're going to work the Hebrew slaves like dogs. Work them, it says, bitterly. The work became bitter. They worked so hard. And the strategy was, you know, if you work them hard enough, you make them tired enough, you keep them busy enough, they don't have time to make kids. Right? (laughs) But Exodus chapter 12, or chapter 1, verse 12 says, but the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied. And the more they spread abroad, and the Egyptians were in dread of the people of Israel. You see, Pharaoh's strategy didn't work, and so strategy number two, plan B, and we read this in Exodus, again, starting in verse 15. So it says, the king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, one of whom was named Shipra and the other Pua, when you serve as midwife to the Hebrew women and see them on the birth stool, if it's a son, you shall kill him, but if it's a daughter, she shall live. But the midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them but let the male children live. So the king of Egypt called the midwives and said to them, why have you done this and let the male children live? And the midwives said to Pharaoh, because the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women. This is one of the most hilarious statements in all of the Bible, I think. For they are vigorous and give birth before the midwife comes. In other words, the Egyptian women aren't vigorous. I don't So God dealt well with the midwives, and the people multiplied and grew very strong. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families. Then Pharaoh commanded all of his people, every son that is born to the Hebrews you shall cast into the Nile, but you shall let every daughter live. And so it's into this environment of fear and really infanticide that Moses is born. And it's into this extreme environment of fear that Moses' parents have to make some difficult, exceedingly difficult choices about their newborn. What do they do with him? Do they hide him? Do they let him be thrown into the Nile? Think about it. What would you do with the newborn in this environment? Well, as our text says today, by faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents. Now, the question is, how do you keep a newborn quiet for three months, right? You're hiding them. You know, you need your diaper changed? Shh. I, I don't know how that happened, but somehow the writer of Hebrews says, in this decision to hide their baby, we see faith. Now, I'm going to uh, take a shameless grandpa break here, okay? This is my granddaughter, Chloe. Uh, I took this shot just three weeks ago, 
uh, we were at a, an orchard that we like to go to up in Michigan every fall, and she was picking out her special pumpkin. Now, I don't know about you, but I think she's pretty much the cutest little girl ever, right? Uh, not only that, when I watch her uh, play and, and discover new things, and, and now she's old enough to you know, communicate about so many things, I'm just amazed by the miracle of life that she is and what potential she represents as a new little human being. She's so valuable. I mean, I think about what could God do with a little girl like this? And you know, I think it's true that the majority of parents and grandparents, we think about our kids and our grandkids like this, right? We think that they're the cutest, they're the most adorable, they're most lovable, they're most valuable kid on the planet, and I think it's pretty normal, and because of that, you and I can argue after service about whether your kid or your grandchild is cuter than mine, but for right now, I control the screen, and so <laughs> my granddaughter's the cutest. <laughs> um, well, you know, Moses' parents apparently felt similar about him. We read in our text that, that they hid him because they saw that the child was beautiful. Now, that's a curious face, uh, phrase. And it's interesting that if you go back to Exodus in the birth story, it uses the same phrase, he was a beautiful child. If you go to Acts chapter 7, verse 20, when... Uh, Stephen, the martyr, was retelling the story of God's people. He said the same thing. Moses, when he was born, was a beautiful child. And basically, everywhere it's mentioned in Scripture about Moses' birth, it says he was a beautiful child. And so, you know, that has to be important, right? If it's repeated three times, what in the world does this mean that he was a beautiful child? Well, there's some disappointment here. I'm not sure anyone knows what the Bible means by this child was beautiful. Um, There are some Jewish traditions, again, not in Scripture, but Jewish traditions that developed around this that said that there was this special physical presence uh, resting on Moses and that if you looked at him, you could see this holy presence, like a glow, I guess, uh, resting on the child. Other scholars suggest that it was describing an inner uh, specialness or beauty that God could see, that when God looked at Moses, the baby, he saw him as beautiful. Others wonder if God had given Moses' parents some kind of special revelation uh, that, hey, this, you know, this child of yours is going to play a special role, a super important role in the, in the history of Israel, similar to the way Mary, when she was pregnant with Jesus, the Spirit came to her and said, hey, Mary, that kid that's in your womb, he's pretty special. Now, our teaching team discussed this issue at length, and by the time we got to the end of the discussion, you know what we decided? I don't know. Um, About all we know for sure is that the word beautiful, uh, translated from the original means uh, it's often used to describe fine art. So if you've ever seen a sculpture or um, a painting that just captured your attention, and you're just like, wow. That's what they were describing Moses as. And so with no more clear direction than this, here's where I'm going to land us today. 
Uh, let's just take it as Moses' parents were just like most parents and grandparents. They thought that their newborn son, Moses, was the most special, most beautiful, most precious, most filled with potential they had ever seen. If they were here today, they and I would get in an argument about who was the cutest, their son or my granddaughter. And because of that natural, normal value that they placed on their child, they did the most common sense thing they could do for him. They hid him from the death sentence that Pharaoh had placed on the Hebrew baby boys. They did what any of us would have done had this been our baby boy in that environment of fear. And you know, oftentimes we think that God-inspired faith is one of those things that involves doing something extraordinary, taking an extraordinary risk, taking a leap that no one else would take. But in the case of Moses' parents, we see at this critical time in the life of their son, we see that their faith consisted of just doing the common sense thing that any parent would do. You see, they saw the value of this little human life, and they acted to protect it, which, by the way, was not without risk. Now, there was a related issue of how they dealt with the fear of the situation. We'll talk about that in just a moment. Um, But for now, let's just consider that in your present situation that's requiring faith, that faith might just consist of doing the common sense thing, of doing the next right thing. Now, I didn't, uh, I didn't really think about it this way at the time, but just a few months, I, fa- I faced this kind of faith decision in my own life. I, uh, my job was ending with Raising Cane's, the local franchise group, Raising Cane's, and there was a corporate buyout going on, and I was fortunate enough to receive a very attractive offer to join Raising Cane's corporate in a very similar position to mine. And it seemed like at the time that that would have have been the perfect natural progression in my career. Um, The only kicker was it required a move to Dallas. Um, And that made it a major faith decision. Now, there were several things adding to the stress of the decision. First of all, the, or maybe the main one was the offer letter came literally the week of my wedding. And so I had to make a decision by my wedding day, uh, not the complication you want during wedding week. Um, <laughs> and then um, you have to understand also a little history about me. Um, I've, as I've gone through life and stuff, I've, I've had to make a few major faith decisions and And shall we say, um, I've landed on the more adventurous, uh, risky, kind of take the leap of faith that not everybody would side of things. And so I have that history in me, and there's there's a part of me that just loves adventure and risk and doing something new. And so thinking about this situation, I was like, that, this feels like faith to go to Dallas. 
But there were a lot of common sense factors in the mix. You know, uh, Michelle, for example, didn't want to go. <laughs> now, by God's grace, she came to the point and said, Scott, I support you and I will do whatever you decide. Um, but there were other things. There were, you know, moving away, far away from family and friends. There was moving away from grandchildren, moving away from aging parents, um, losing this all-important social or, uh, relational network that supports us as newly married people. And so all of those common sense things were saying to me, Scott, you need to turn down the job. And I will tell you, it was a really, some of you wrestled through this with me. I wrestled and wrestled and wrestled with this decision. And in the end, I chose quite contrary to my history of making the big move and taking the leap of faith. No, I followed the common sense factors and I stayed here in Columbus. Now, I will tell you, I, may, I think I only made the decision 51%, 49%. And it didn't feel like faith at the time. Um, but in this circumstance, faith looked like common sense. And now five months later, I can, starting to look back and I'm at peace and every day I'm more and more confident that it was the better faith decision for me and for us. Sometimes faith looks like common sense. It looks like the next right thing to do. Now, as I, as I look at our verse today, verse 23, um, one thing that stands out to me is that it speaks of faith at the beginning of the verse, and it speaks of fear at the end of the verse. If you can see the red circles on the screen, I've kind of pointed that out. And so really faith, we see faith and we see fear as bookends on the verse. And so I think we need to explore that relationship between faith and fear. Now, more than obvious, right, that life is filled with all kinds of fearful situations. Um, sometimes it's extreme, like Moses' parents, um, like European Jews during the time of the Holocaust, like Afghani parents trying to save their kids from the Taliban. Other times our uh, fears, though, are less extreme, but they're no less real. Um, it might be fear of losing a job. It might be fear of conflict with a family member or a co-worker. It might be fear of a bully at school. It might be um, fear of committing to a relationship. It might be fear of breaking off a relationship that's become unhealthy. It might be fear of COVID, right? Many of us have experienced that. And so our list of fears just seems endless, and they're very real. So how does faith deal with fear? How do the two relate? Well, we're going to learn from the parents of Moses. First of all, faith, if we watch their lives, faith assesses fear realistically. doesn't hide from it, doesn't turn away from it, doesn't pretend it's not there. In the case of Moses' parents, the reasons to fear were real. Pharaoh had given this order to all of his people that said, if you find a Hebrew baby boy, throw him in the Nile for crocodile food. Or is it alligator food? Do you know which one lives in the Nile? Anyway, uh, <laughs> um, it was bad. Um, and so Moses' parents had to face that fear head on. 
They didn't hide from it. They knew what the risks were. They knew what the realities were, both of following the king's edict and not following it. Genuine faith assesses the fear realistically, faces it head on. But secondly, fear or faith doesn't let fear get in the way of this common sense that we were talking about. The end of verse 23, it clearly tells us that they were not afraid of the king's edict. And so when they hid baby Moses, they didn't do it out of fear. They did it out of faith. So we said earlier, um, well, you know, I was thinking this. There are some people that might say that have a certain view of faith that might say, well, Moses' parents, um, if you're truly not afraid of the king's edict, if you truly have faith, then take your son to the palace and show him to Pharaoh and say, what are you going to do? Right? That's what some people think faith is. That's what some people say the lack of fear is. You know what I call that? Stupid. Some of you said it. <laughs> Stupid. Um, when we were talking about this in teaching team, um, Armando, who spoke last week here, uh, Armando's from Cuba and uh, immigrated here, and he still goes back to Cuba occasionally. And, and he told us in group, he said, or in the teaching team, he said, uh, you know, when I go back to Cuba, I'm not afraid of the Castros who dictate the, the country. But, he says, I also don't walk up to the government officials and open my suitcase and say, look at all the Bibles I'm smuggling into the country, right? I saw the same thing when I lived in Romania. Uh, the people that, my friends there that lived through the communist dictator years uh, under Ceausescu, they, they would say they were not afraid of Ceausescu during those years. But that didn't stop them from hiding their Bibles in their kids' mattresses because they knew that when the secret police came in the middle of the night to harass them, which they did often as followers of Jesus, they knew the one thing that the secret police would not disturb was a sleeping child. And so you hide your Bibles in the mattress. And so what we learn from that is true faith can still be prudent. It can still be wise. We don't have to do stupid stuff in order to prove that we're not afraid and that we have faith. And then there's a third thing that we learn about faith and fear is that it does force us to ask the question and answer the question, who or what do I fear most? Who or what do I fear most? In the case of Moses' parents, they had every reason to fear Pharaoh. fearing what could this man do to our baby boy. But who did they fear more? You see, we learned that they feared, a.k.a. they trusted, they believed in the absolute power and goodness and authority of God more than they feared Pharaoh. They were following in the, the footsteps of the Hebrew midwives, I think, that, that we read about in Exodus 1. But the midwives feared God 
and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded, but let the male children live. So God dealt well with the midwives, and because the midwives feared God, he gave them families. I am quite sure that Moses' parents knew about this. He knew, they knew about how God had dealt well with the midwives for fearing God versus fearing Pharaoh. And I'm quite sure that that news, that information emboldened their faith to fear God, to believe God is going somehow, I don't know how, but God is going to take care of us and God is going to take care of this little boy. Faith has a huge impact on fear when it is grounded in this solid relationship with the Almighty God who loves us and pursues good for us always. And if I can say anything to you this morning is search and seek for that kind of relationship with God where you know that you know that you know that he is good, that he is powerful, that he is on your side, that he is fighting for you, and he is always working for the very best for you because he loves you. In the series, we've been asking two questions. What is faith and how is faith lived? And today, I think we've answered those questions like this. The first one, what is faith? Faith is often just common sense. It's a common sense decision for the good of those who are most valuable to us. How is faith lived? It's by choosing who we're going to fear, who we're going to trust most, um, you know, God, is that the source of our fear or is it the other source? Now, there's two practical questions related to these that, that I want us to think about. Uh, you can answer it this morning. You can answer it in cell group later this week. But the questions um, that I want us to, to think about are this. Who or what is your beautiful baby? Who is it right now? Your beautiful baby. What do I mean by that? Who is the person, or it could be a thing, or it could be a situation of great value. God has entrusted it to you, and you're facing a difficult decision about how to care for them best. Let me give you some examples. Your beautiful baby right now might be your kids, like it was for Moses' parents. might be an aging parent who depends on you. It might be your marriage or some other relationship. Who is your beautiful baby right now? And then the second question related is, who or what is your Pharaoh? What right now, what fear is driving you, that's bothering you, that's keeping you awake at night? Again, some examples. Your kids, your kid might be facing a bully at school on a regular basis, and you don't know what to do about it. Or your kid has a bad relationship with his or her teacher, and it's affecting the learning environment. 
an aging parent has just been diagnosed with a serious disease and you're responsible to care for them and you don't quite know what to do. Your marriage is in trouble. Divorce has been put on the table and you're scared to death of that. You see, fear in situations like this, very real, very normal. But we are called to exercise faith in the face of fear. Faith is often just a common sense decision for the good of those who are most valuable to us. Faith is lived by choosing who we're going to fear, who we're going to trust in the situation. Again, if I could say anything to you today is to pursue and find that relationship with God that's rooted in the fact that he is for you, that he is good, that he's always working for good for you. He loves you deeply. That'll walk you through any fear that we could face. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you that you give us that foundation. That when we know you and we know in the heart of our hearts that you have died for us and that you live for us, that you have set us free as we sang about earlier, Jesus, we want that foundation to drive our life There's lots of things that we can be afraid of, and there's lots of things right now that people in this room and people online are just scared to death of. Jesus, I pray that you would meet us, that you would move powerfully in us, that you would stir faith in the the face of our fear. Amen.